Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. America faces a choice. This is Battleground America. Here's Tara Servatius. The first unprecedented numbers we're seeing, at least in the 60 years that history has been recorded economically, was laid out pretty well in this Federalist article. Key indicator hints America is headed for its worst real estate crash in history. That a price bubble that's shockingly large appears to have formed in the real estate market. We have never seen one this big before. A key economic indicator suggests the U.S. housing market is on the verge of an unprecedented crash that could end up being the biggest in America's history. Drive your attention now. Put simply, they write, Americans have literally never seen housing prices skyrocket like they are right now for this long of a period. And here's what happened. In just 24 months, the average price of a house in America increased $93,300. That's the average sale price. Okay, it started off as at $384,600 and wound up in 2021 at $477,900. That's in just over 24 months. So what that means is the 12-month home sales price increases for the second, third, and fourth quarters of 2021 were all above 17%. That is the highest hike ever recorded. For those who are going to want to know, we started recording that financial history in 1963. We've never seen anything like it. Well, what happens if this happens? Every time, as Forbes reports, every time they have approached the numbers we are seeing today in the past, in the 1970s, the late 1980s, and the early to mid-2000s, there was a massive real estate or stock market crash that soon followed. There are no exceptions. The crash occurred. The evidence is clear. The Federalist writes, Based on data reported over the past six decades, America appears to be on the verge of an epic real estate crash. Unless, oh, you think, thank God, there's a way out. Well, there is, but I'm not sure it's one we want to take. Yes, the numbers would indicate, given the all-time high we just hit, that we are headed for the most epic of real estate crashes ever. Unless, well, they write, there is a chance that housing prices will not drop or only drop minimally. But that's only if the Fed decides to continue to keep interest rates low, despite the inflation crisis. One problem. It might prevent a real estate crash, the size and scale, the one that I just discussed, but it'll come at a cost. Massive inflation, even bigger market distortions, and the risk, the very real risk of the collapse of the dollar. If it seems like the Federal Reserve is paralyzed in terms of rate hikes, it's because they are. We're literally at the point as a country, and no one will tell you this, that's what's so shocking, that it's so obvious when you look at the record numbers that are being posted, we're literally at the point of, well, we could raise rates to ease inflation, protect the dollar, but we'll have to choose a real estate market crash. 
Oh, and potentially a 401k stock market crash too. So to recap, home sales prices are breaking all-time records right now in terms of recorded history in our lifetimes. Right now, that has always preceded a crash, meaning the crash will probably be the biggest we've seen. But that's just one problem facing America right now. You mean there's another one? Yup. It's that these inflationary numbers aren't really the worst in 40 years. I mean, that'd be bad and all. And we've all heard that reported. 7.5% annual inflation, worst in 40 years. Except it's not. It's worse than the worst in 40 years. It's worse than we've ever seen in our lifetimes. The problem is that the media is lying to you. The lie they're telling is one of omission. The way that CPI, the way that inflation is calculated has been changed twice since the 70s, once in 1980 and once in 1990. In order to exclude the stuff that really measures inflation, like key goods. This is why Americans aren't panicking. Yeah, they're really stressed. Inflation's the number one thing cause for concern that keeps showing up in the number one spot in polls. But they keep telling us, yeah, worse than 40 years. We go, okay, well, worse than 40 years, that's bad. But we obviously survived it before, so we'll be fine. The problem is they don't tell you that they're comparing apples to oranges, that we changed twice the way we calculate this sucker. Fortunately, there's a website that actually tracks what the number would be if we still calculated things the way we did in the 70s or before the 1990 change. So what's inflation really? It's pretty shocking. You can find these numbers on a website called Shadow Government Statistics by John Williams. That's all he does. He just calculates inflation. It's a very straightforward mathematical calculation. What would inflation be if we measured it the way we did in 1980 and the way we did in 1990 before the changes? You ready for this? Because inflation, remember we're told it's at 7.5%. We're told that's a 40-year high, but it's not 7.5%. Inflation would have been over 15% using the pre-1980 metrics and over 10% using the pre-1990 metrics. Now, come on. You've been to the store. Does that look like what you're seeing? Darn skippy it does. What's a good way to measure this in our actual society? Besides, you know, just walking down the aisles of a store. I like to call it the Kraft Heinz Index. It's not really an index. It's just that Kraft Heinz is one of the few companies that's actually making public and publishing its inflationary predictions. They are shocking, but they fit the real statistics, the way things would look if it was reported the way that we used to report it. How bad is it? And how bad is it going to get? Really bad. Looking at all the products they produce, and it's pretty much every household brand uh, for food, for drinks, they're anticipating, you might want to sit down before I tell you this, they're anticipating that the average food basket prices, that's what they call this, food basket, the average food basket prices of the goods they will be producing and bringing to market going into the July 4th holiday will be about 20% higher than current and 40% higher than July 2021, with some items being as high they warn as 50 to 60% higher. One of the reasons I like watching what they're predicting is that they 
put out everything. They put out a lot of the stuff, the food stuff, um, that gets excluded. But they also use a lot of chemicals in their packaging. They use packaging. They use a lot of paper products. Basically, they're a very well-rounded company for measuring the prices of a lot of things that we need and have in our society. Those numbers are shocking. The last time in American history that the year-over-year inflation rate was that high, the year 1778. At the end of the American Revolution, it was 29.78%, higher than what Kraft Heinz is forecasting. The next highest, 19.66% in 1917. Now, it's worth noting that Kraft Heinz sees that as the peak. Yep, mid-year, around 4th of July, prices will be about 40% higher than they were the year before in July. That's a shocking number. To get there, they say, at least on the kinds of items they sell, it'll mean a 20% price increase between today and July for a total of about 40 year over year. Those are staggering numbers. They mirror exactly what Heinz Craft is saying. Now, who said this? What's the source on it? We could read the um, Breitbart article again. It's supply chain and wholesale inflation hits 26.5%. Where did that come from? The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's the year-over-year number that is really eye-catching, they write. Prices for intermediate processed goods are up 26.5%. The inflation is widespread. Prices for materials and components for manufacturing are up 42% year-over-year. These are massive numbers, folks. They're absolutely huge. These are wholesale numbers, which means they're already in the supply chain. As your suppliers are making new stuff, they just haven't hit the store yet. But they will in July. That's the price increases that Kraft Heinz is warning about that are already in the system. But they're not the only ones writing about it. The Richmond Fed said essentially the same thing, putting those inflationary numbers much more conservatively in the mid-teens. That'd still be unprecedented for the entire 63 years we've kept these statistics in the modern era. Need another source? Cool. Let's use the Richmond Federal Reserve Survey. That came out at the end of January. And the best recap of it is in this Breitbart article, inflation explodes to record-breaking high in Richmond Fed Survey. Again, their numbers (laughs) put it only in the mid-teens. Now, the good news is that at that point, inflation should begin to taper if Congress doesn't print any more money. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. More on that one in a minute. But so the good news is that Kraft does anticipate the March to July rates of increase to remain, you know, that 10 to 20 to 30 percent, you know, from where they are today, 40 percent year over year. But then they'll stabilize, they say, in the last half of the year, bringing the yearly average into the low teens. Oh, good. It'll stabilize in the last half of the year. You mean prices will come down? No, 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 no. We're talking about the rate of increase. Prices aren't going to come down. 
We're just, what they're saying is we'll be on the backside of the inflationary increases. So, you know, instead of the rate being 20%, 30%, whatever, it'll be, you know, lower than that, might go to 8, 9, 10, leaving us in the teens for the year. Folks, we have not seen this in our lifetimes, not in the 70s. Nope. How does it end? I don't know. But it's not good that nobody's talking about it. Now, we could slow that down with some persistent rate hikes. But I'd have to refer you to the beginning of the podcast, the part about a record-breaking market crash in real estate. Don't forget that bubble is waiting for us in real estate. The bubble created by keeping rates artificially low for so many years, allowing governments to borrow massive amounts of debt, which is what's causing all this. Now, all this assumes that the dollar continues to be the world's reserve currency, and for some inexplicable reason, people still want to transact in them. Why they would want to do that if inflation really is what it appears to be going to, I don't know. The nightmare scenario is this. We can borrow the money that we do for one reason. We hold the reserve currency of the world. It's the currencies, I've explained to you many times, that everybody transacts in, or a lot of people do. In other words, if you're going to do an international business deal, what are you going to do it in? You're going to change it out of your currency into dollars uh, and then do the deal. If you're going to buy fuel, most uh, oil in the world uh, through OPEC is purchased for dollars. So it creates a fake demand for the dollar that isn't really there. I could explain why it's done that way, but that'd be a whole nother podcast. But the second that people start realizing that, oh my gosh, the dollar is using losing value so quickly that before I can get my business deal done, I'm going to have a much smaller bottom line. What do they do? They'll dump the dollar. They'll transact in something else. And then those numbers that I was laying out for you, Katie, bar the door. Nobody knows what happens if dollars flood the market because people just don't want them anymore. It's the very nightmare scenario that of all people, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, tried to warn us of this fall. I did a whole podcast on it and he warned us. He said, listen, these folks in Washington, D.C., they're destroying your dollar. It was a much stronger warning than Americans got from the leaders of either party. But so far, it's gone unheeded. Yeah, but Tara, come on. If it was really that bad, I mean, surely major firms would warn us. They just did. I'll get to that in a minute. It was a huge story. Everybody missed it. But why haven't firms been blowing the whistle on these record-breaking numbers like I have in this podcast? Well, there's a good reason for it. Because our Fed chairman's a big, fat liar. See, the political elite in Washington, D.C., have been raiding the treasury. There long since hasn't been any money in there. What they're rating right now is the little remaining ability we have to write IOUs. Kind of like stealing somebody's credit card and using the last, I don't know, $2,000 worth of credit they have on it. That's what they're rating. To give you some idea of the scale of this, when COVID began, well, before COVID began, we had $17 trillion in national debt. Today, it's right at 30. That's like, what, two and a half years? We did this in two ways. We put out treasury bonds and actually borrowed people's money, saying we'd pay them back. But as I've explained many times on this podcast, there aren't enough people on earth to buy enough treasury bonds to fund the trillion dollar spending we've been doing. So Washington puts out treasury bonds it knows no one can buy. Then it prints the money with which to buy them back, flooding the market with it. Every dollar that's printed devalues the value of every other dollar. It's a Ponzi scheme we, the United States, 
uniquely can run because there's still a demand for dollars because we have the reserve currency. Washington, D.C. quickly turned this into an entitlement, which is how we're seeing bills unlike any we've ever seen before. Take the recent infrastructure bill. That trillion-dollar hot mess was entirely funded by the printing press. Yep, official Washington has now taken the position that they don't need to pay for anything with actual dollars. They can fund it all, or almost all of it, with the printing press. This is terrifying. In fact, people would be dropping the dollar like a hot potato, except one thing. Call it psychology and perception. The perception that the dollar is just too big to fail. This is psychology there. And a little lie that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell told to help it along. Namely, that he'd start tapering. See, right now, the way the world looks at it is COVID. We had COVID. COVID really was just a convenient excuse for the Washington elite to raid the treasury of the borrowing power. But anyway, we had COVID. And so what do we do? Well, we had to print a bunch because we're just, you know, having a temporary crisis. Other governments printed a lot, too. We printed twice as much per capita as any other government, but whatever. Other governments printed, too. And so they're having a bit of inflation. Not quite comparable to ours, but it is worldwide. So this is thought of as normal and having been done on every currency, right? So why dump one currency whose government printed during COVID for another whose currency, you know, their government printed during COVID? The psychology booing the dollar, dollar right now. And if, if you are into currency, you understand I am way simplifying this, okay? Uh, but I need people to understand so that they could prepare. Part of that psychology was the Fed saying, oh, hey, we're going to taper, which means we're going to stop dumping monopoly money into the market every month. In other words, this is going to end. You can go back to depending on the dollar. See, it's stable right now. So if we drop off the printing, it's going to only become more stable. So go ahead and hold on to it. Oh, by the way, we're lying about our inflationary rate, too. But don't you worry. The whole house of cards still stands. That is until Jerome Powell was busted. Here comes the warning. That you must be thinking, well, surely major financial institutions would be warning. They just did. See, this fall, Jerome Powell said the Fed would start to taper, that they wouldn't print as much. I said at the time, and I'm right again, that there is no way Jerome Powell could do that, that he had to be lying. Because why? Because the Republicans and Democrats in Washington were on the verge of passing the infrastructure package. It was a trillion dollars and it was funded 100 percent with printed monopoly money. There was no way Jerome Powell could stop printing. He would have to increase the rate of printing to make his Washington masters happy. After all, and folks, imagine the cruelty of this. If you've been to the grocery store, I don't know, this week and seen the prices there, Washington has just begun to print the trillion dollar payola price tag of that infrastructure bill. That's insane. I mean, that is a level of risk. That's like, hey, we're going to have this open flame over here near this dynamite, but it'll probably turn out okay. That's a level of risk they're taking. and They don't care. So I nailed that prediction saying there's no way the Fed's going to have to print more monopoly money. Well, for some reason, this was shocking to Wall Street analysts who somehow thought we could have an infrastructure plan, an infrastructure deal, which nobody objected to on Wall Street, and then somehow pay for it with money, not money. Because there was no funding source attached. Well, that's when the alarm went up. If you want to see it, so you'll remember it, it did happen. It was in an article published by Reuters on February 10th. And it was a big freaking deal. Or it should have been. 
The headline is, if you want to read it for yourself, just stop, exclamation point. Folks, I don't think I've ever seen an exclamation point in a Reuters article headline, much less a financial one. Just stop, exclamation point. Investors want the Fed to quit buying bonds now. In other words, to quit printing monopoly money to buy back bonds for which there are not enough buyers on the planet Earth. Because, you know, there's only like 8 billion of us and we're printing and borrowing trillions of dollars. But whatever the case, this apparently took the folks, or at least they claim it did, at BlackRock by shock. Jerome Powell said he was going to stop printing. By God, he didn't. BlackRock, by the way is the world's largest asset manager with a portfolio in excess of $9.5 trillion. It's nothing bigger than BlackRock. And they're going, whoa, stop. Stop the printing. You said you were going to stop printing. That's the gist of this Reuters article. Here's how it begins. The U.S. Federal Reserve should stop buying bonds immediately, i.e. printing the monopoly money with which to buy them. It's a Ponzi scheme. The U.S. Federal Reserve, Reuters writes, should stop buying bonds immediately to contain rampant inflation. Rampant inflation? They're actually describing it that way? Yup, because that's what it is. A top investment manager at BlackRock said on Thursday, joining, listen to this, a chorus of Wall Street heavy hitters and investors who've been calling for swifter Fed action to contain rising prices. I.e., you gotta stop printing the monopoly money. Tell Congress to go pound sand. Instead, what did the Fed do? Well, after months of saying, don't worry, don't worry, you know, we're, 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 as soon as we come out of this pandemic, no, we are very soon going to stop printing all this money. We're going to taper is what, it, what it's called. They never intended to. And guess what? At its latest meeting, and this is what caused the alarm, the Fed said at the beginning in February it would increase holdings of Treasury securities by at least $20 billion a month. But don't worry, it said, we'll totally bring those purchases to an end in early March. Well, that's what they said in the fall they were going to be done. It's going up, not down, and it has to in order to pay for the infrastructure plan. Rick Ryder, BlackRock's chief investment officer of Global Fixed Income, raised the alarm. He said, the Fed needs to react and address today's high levels of inflation in NQE now. Kelsey Barrow, a fixed income portfolio manager at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, said, because what's the point? We all know the economy doesn't need QE. That's the printing of the monopoly money anymore. And ending it a month early to clear the way for a rate hike in March just makes a lot of sense. So said Sinal Desai, he's the chief investment officer for Franklin Templeton. Fixed income, same thing. They continue to expand the balance sheet, i.e. print the money, after acknowledging they don't need to do this anymore. She told Reuters, again, why are they printing? Because my senator, the idiot, Lindsey Graham, voted for an infrastructure plan we don't need, uh, along with 19 other Republicans, giving it to Democrats so that their donors, no doubt, could go raid the Treasury with them. And there's something else going on here, too, that could end the dollar and the American economy or maybe just collapse the real estate market in a way that's never happened before in America. And that's this. If you remember during Trump's term, do you remember Trump welling at Jerome Powell? Yeah, because that guy was a, 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 a rate hiking fool back during the Trump administration when he said he needed to slow down Trump's economy. Why? It might get too hot. We didn't have inflation anywhere near where it is now. Why did Powell do that then? Well, for the exact reason Trump accused him of. Powell is an elite uniparty kind of guy. 
He's there to defeat Trump. They needed to slow his economy down so they could beat him at the ballot box. Now, all of a sudden, Powell just can't see his way to the rate hikes needed to stop the inflation. Why? Because no matter what he does, if he hikes those rates, guess what? Joe Biden gets it in the midterm election. He's got to figure out a way to either not hike rates or to do very little in that department because even a little could cause a total real estate implosion. He can't act until November, and he won't because he answers to the elites, not to Americans. And what happens in the meantime? Printing, printing, printing. Meanwhile, folks, we got a big problem. If they're warning now that we need to ease the printing of the money, folks, you know what Joe Biden is proposing? A 50% increase in the federal budget. Yes, you heard that right. Five. Oh, as I've told you many times, we already borrow every year a little less than half the federal budget. This would mean we'd have to borrow about $4 trillion to pay off the federal budget this year. I'm afraid one more trillion dollars in borrowed money even if we were to keep the federal government the size it is right now and the budget the same, would sink the dollar. Nobody knows what straw will break the camel's back. But by this time, BlackRock thought we'd be tapering the printing. And doing the budget is just going to mean firing up the press faster. And folks, that assumes that Biden's Build Back Better plan doesn't pass. We dodged that one by two votes. It would have literally been the almost guaranteed destruction of the dollar right there. Every budget bill passed from now on, even if we only have to borrow two trillion, like we do now, about half the federal budget will be fraught with peril, a spectacle of terror and potential destruction. What would I be doing at this point if I were the political class? Exactly what they're doing. Big distractions that don't actually mean anything. Like the Ukraine circus we're watching, which should be, at best, a minor footnote story compared to what I've laid out in this podcast. And you know what else I'd be doing? I'd be looking to create or exacerbate a major calamity. Something on a scale so big, it would cause the collapse of, I don't know, fuel lines, the internet, satellites, you name it. Anything to cover up that the reason that we hit the inflation rates that I described here earlier was the spending of our elites, a sovereign debt crisis. I'd want something else to pin it on, desperately. I might even invent one of these crises, some sort of Russian hacking that brings down major parts of the financial system temporarily or for long enough to cause a big enough mess that no one will notice what actually crashed the system. That's what I would do. Is that what they're doing? I don't know. But I know this. They're quite capable of making up massive, delusional, society-wide distraction fantasies, i.e. Russian collusion, i.e. COVID was a major pandemic, i.e. we need the lockdown. No, wait, we never really did because it doesn't mitigate deaths at all. They're used to these. And I'm just waiting for the next one they launch. I'm not making any predictions here, but if I were them... And I wanted to run another of these fake gambits to cover my sovereign debt tracks. Mine would sound a lot like, well, this from Fox News on Friday. 
There's growing concern tonight about the possibility Russia could stage a massive attack on U.S. satellites. American experts believe Moscow has the ability to inflict major damage, effectively blinding some U.S. forces. Such attacks could also have major effects on you and the American economy. We've been talking about the cyber possibilities. Here's congressional correspondent Aisha Hosni. The U.S. has not yet issued any warning of a cyber threat to American satellites. But today, the Biden administration admitted it has been preparing for a variety of cyber attacks since November. Attacks that could target banks, power plants, water treatment facilities, and communications. When asked if these private sectors are prepared... We've shared sensitive information. We've shared, most importantly, the specific steps, and we've exercised the maximum of government authorities to mandate those steps as needed. Cyber experts say Russia has the capability to disable or even destroy our satellites. While industry experts do not think Russia would risk drawing the U.S. into this type of conflict, they admit cyber warfare can quickly get out of control. This is no doubt a very dangerous moment right now. Certainly no one wants to see a kinetic conflict between two nuclear superpowers. Uh-huh. I about fell off my chair when I heard that last end part there. Who's that guy speaking? That's Dmitry Alperovich. He's the co-founder of CrowdStrike. Once you remember who CrowdStrike is, it'll terrify you that he's predicting this could be a problem. Who's CrowdStrike? They're the folks that virtually made up the Russian hacking. The idea that the Russians influenced the election by hacking the DNC server? Yeah, Congress eventually got them under oath behind closed doors in 2017. We wouldn't see the documentation of it till 2020. And what did they admit? They made the whole thing up. The Russian hacking. They couldn't prove and did not have any evidence that anybody had hacked the DNC server. They were then asked by Congress members, well then, if you're not sure anybody even hacked the server, how do you know it's the Russians? They said, well, if somebody hacked the server, it looks like what the Russians would have done. And now Fox News is trotting out CrowdStrike as an expert on Russian maneuvers to tell us they might do it again. They didn't do it the first time. CrowdStrike made it up. A chill went down my spine when I saw that. Anyway, here's the rest of the Fox News report. And tonight, Fox has confirmed U.S. officials met with the top bosses of J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, and other financial institutions this week to trace their resilience of their cyber defenses against those attacks. And this mirrors what the European Central Bank is doing as well. Reuters is reporting that banks across Europe have been conducting cyber war games to test their defenses. Brett? I should thank you. Again, no predictions here. I just know what I'd do. And whatever they're going to do, they don't have any good choices. They best get started by, I'd say, June at the latest. Please subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Share with friends, family, and other free thinkers. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.